What I want to talk about today is um, actually kind of piggybacking a little bit on what CJ talked about a couple of weeks ago. Um, he uh, he preached an amazing sermon. I encourage you on the podcast or the YouTube, go back and, and uh, have a look at that. But I want to pick up on something uh, he said from one of the Bible verses that he was uh, reading from that just talked about uh, this one line. It said, not so with you. When Jesus was talking to his disciples uh, and about how the world does and operates in a certain way, uh, but he says to them, not so with you. And what I want to focus on today is this idea of being great. Because um, all throughout history, uh, the title of great has been given to lots of people. So it, it's almost universally, though, been given to violent people and uh, warlords, uh, people like Alexander the Great or Genghis Khan, who was also known as the Great Khan, uh, and Herod the Great. Uh, so for thousands of years, humanity has defined um, greatness by uh, a person's ability to crush their enemies, by their ability to build an empire or take over the world. And uh, so greatness has been um, married with violence and power. In the world, to be great means defeating those who oppose you. Uh, and even in the church, uh, from the very beginning, this idea of greatness has permeated uh, our culture. So we look at uh, guys like James and John, who were disciples of Jesus, and they thought that the, that violent power would make them great as well. So we have this scene in Luke 9. Uh, the disciples uh, are outside this uh, village who has not accepted uh, Jesus or welcomed him. Uh, this is in uh, Luke 9, 54. It says, when the disciples, James and John, saw this, they asked, Lord, do you want us to call fire down from heaven to destroy them? Which is just stunning. Like they want to be great because Elijah did this. Okay, so the, the, their precedent for this is to say Elijah was a great prophet and he called fire down and destroyed his enemies. So now we have finally found some people that won't accept us. Shall we just murder and slaughter all of them? That will make us great. Um, that's what their heroes looked like. And uh, verse 55, the next verse just says, Jesus turned and rebuked them. Uh, he rebuked them because in the economy of the kingdom of God, greatness is not measured by our ability to call fire from heaven and slaughter our enemies. You see, Jesus didn't think that that would make them great. Uh, as you would uh, know uh, in the news, we can, even here in Australia, we cannot avoid uh, the, the politics of America. So we would all know that Donald Trump campaigned on this idea of make America great again. Uh, you've seen the MAGA hats and slogans. And if you listen to his speeches, uh, you would hear what he thinks greatness means. Uh, here is a quote from him. We have to start winning wars again. You see, that's how all despots define greatness. We need to win the wars. We need to slaughter our enemies. We need to have power over everybody. And in our modern era, we could perhaps start to stretch that definition of greatness a little bit. Uh, so nowadays, um, we, you know, we don't um, just define greatness by violence. We also define it uh, by being powerful in other ways. Uh, so in the secular world, greatness is defined by wealth and by influence. Uh, you can look up like uh, the Forbes most powerful people list. And it's a list of CEOs, of government leaders, and uh, normally like tech, uh, tech startup leaders. So guys like Zuckerberg and uh, Larry Page and Bill Gates and like those, those guys who own social media, Bezos who owns Amazon. These are the people who the world considers to be powerful. Uh, and then you add to that movie stars and sports stars, politicians, CEOs, actors, musicians, all of that. That is how we define greatness. Uh, as a culture, everyone wants to be like those people. But greatness 
isn't just something that the rich or the important people are interested in or desiring. Even though, like, because like I'm old enough now to know I'm never going to be uh, to be great in the way that that you know um, those billionaires are great and have the influence that they have. Uh, but we are hardwired in our culture to look for greatness all the time. We are constantly evaluating the people around us to see who is greater. Uh, so imagine this, you, you walk into a room with people and the first thing you do is you say, well, what do you do for a living? What is your profession? What is your qualification? Where do you get your identity and purpose from? What makes you great? We're asking a question so that we can rank people in terms of uh, where they fit in our social structure. Even the idea of an alpha male and a beta male or, a, uh, you know, like a certain types of personalities. We want to know where do we fit in the, in the, uh, the greatness scheme? What are your kids doing? That's something that, um, you know, you could, you ask because you want to know, well, I want to measure how great you are based on how great your kids are. Uh, how are they going at school? Did you get that promotion? What about the, the house, the car, the, uh, the object? You know, we got new couches. So this week we are great. You know, like it's crazy, but we judge and rank people in terms of their greatness when we meet them. How good looking are you? How smart are you? How rich are you? Inside our head, there is this constant voice that is telling us to junk, judge and rank people uh, according to the standards of the world. And when we win this ranking, we feel great. We feel relieved. We feel justified uh, for our own behavior and our identity and our purpose. We feel superior. But if we lose uh, the, the ranking, if we look at other people and think they are all greater and I am not great, uh, then we, we fall into depression or we resolve to work harder so that we can be greater, so that we can reach a higher standard. And I really wish that it wasn't true, but this happens uh, in churches also. And it, it happens uh, in, in all kinds of structures. Um, but in churches, it's disappointing to me that it happens, especially among church leaders. Pastors can be just like CEOs, hoping that they can optimize their workforce, get all of their people to do more because it will reflect well on how great they are. Uh, in churches, they, uh, you'll have churches that talk about the house and they're not talking about the kingdom of God. They're talking about their house. They're talking about their church being more influential, more powerful, more wealthy, more great than other churches. We want to have the biggest church, the best, uh, most influential podcast, the, the best worship, uh, the most book sales. Uh, we want to hang out with all the other cool churches and go to the cool conferences. We want to be great. But these measures of greatness that pervade even Christendom have been there. They've been there right from the very, very beginning. In Matthew uh, 2020, we have... Uh, this scene where it says, Then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to Jesus with her sons and kneeling down, because Jesus was great, she asks a favor of him. What is it that you want? He asks. See, she said, Grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right and the other at your left in the kingdom. See, James and John's mother clearly thought that her kids were pretty great. Uh, so great that she wanted them to have the place of greatness next to Jesus, flanking him on either side as the greatest of his disciples. And Jesus says, you don't know what you are asking. Can you drink the cup I am going to drink? And uh, they, they answered him and said, oh, we can. But here's the thing. There is no sitting alongside Jesus without drinking from his cup. Verse 23, Jesus said to them, you will indeed drink from my cup, but to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. 
These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared by my father. And when the ten, as the other disciples, heard about this, they were indignant with the two brothers. See, they were angry at James and John, either because they were like, why aren't you guys playing as part of the team? Why are you trying to get power? Or they were angry because they were like, why didn't we think of that? We should have asked for the best seats in the house. You see, they, 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 from the very beginning, they wanted violence and power and greatness. They wanted Jesus to overwhelm and destroy the Romans. They wanted to have a revolution that would put the Israelite people back on top of everybody else, that would make them in charge. And so after this little ruckus between uh, his disciples, Jesus calls a team meeting. In verse 25, he says, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, Whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be your slaves. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. See, Jesus doesn't play nicely with their cultural norms or with our cultural norms. He isn't interested in defining great by position or by power. Jesus sets the ultimate example of what it means to be great when he serves and when he lays down his life for us. Now, I'm not saying no one should lead. Somebody needs to lead. Somebody needs to hold power. It's just that Jesus doesn't recognize that as a prerequisite for greatness. Having the most power or the most prestige or the most influence or the most money or uh, the most might is totally irrelevant to how Jesus defines greatness. You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. In the, uh, I, I like the translation, the New Revised Standard Edition. It translates this and says, But Jesus called to them and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. Listen to this second line though. And their great ones are tyrants over them. See, what was normal? This is, no one rebukes Jesus. No one is confused by what Jesus says here. The normal course of action here is that the rulers of the world are tyrannical in their reign and their rule and their leadership over people. And things haven't really changed all that much. Many of our great ones in our culture and our governments and our businesses. Many of our great ones are tyrants. Many of our great ones treat other people as though they are not as valuable as themselves. And they subdue people and they use them for their own economic gain and they use them to build their own empires. And in our culture, the normal rules don't seem to apply to these great ones. We don't expect them to, to carry the weight of, the, of leadership in a way that is honorable or a way that is humble or a way that is fair. We allow great ones to behave in a tyrannical way and we just assume that that is right and normal. Exactly the same as what Jesus was saying of the Jewish, of the Gentile leaders that existed in the first century. In fact, we make it even worse. We make excuses for them. We make excuses for them because we're jealous of the power that they hold. We actually hope that one day we will have the power or wealth or influence or affluence or, or might that they have. So we make excuses for the tyrants that stand over us. Because we have bought into a lie, we are told that purpose and happiness comes from being great. 
So when we dream of greatness, we dream of authority and success and achievement and titles. We dream of getting promoted and we think, I'll be great if I get married or I'll be great if I buy my own house or if I finish my degree or if I achieve all my dreams. If I manage to stand over the world and say, I have dominion, I will be great and then I will be happy. And Jesus says to that, not so with you. Your greatness and the greatness of our church or the greatness of the kingdom of God is not defined by political might. It's not defined by wealth and affluence and influence. You see, it's obvious who Jesus thinks is great. When you read through the Gospels, he draws attention to people like the widow who gives of the few coins that she has out of, out of her uh, generosity. And Jesus says, this, this woman has given more than anyone else. She is great. Like the centurion uh, that Jesus meets who says, you have great faith. Or the Canaanite woman who comes in and begs at his feet. He says, you have great faith. These are the people that impress Jesus. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. The word uh, translated as servant here, um, diakonos, is it's normally like, well, sometimes translated as deacon in the church. So a deacon, a leader in the church is meant to be a servant. Uh, and diakonos is translated as deacon or leader or uh, a servant or minister. And then the verb, um, what is it, diakoneo, is, is to serve or to help. See, in the kingdom of God, your greatness is measured by how much you help. How much you help. It's that simple. That's what it is to be great in the kingdom of God. Are you helping people? The thing that makes our church gatherings great, and you know, we don't, we're not able to gather so much today, but there are still people who are serving behind the scenes, making things happen. The things that makes our church gatherings great are the people who serve. They're the ones in the kitchens making the meals and the coffee. They're the ones who lead us in worship and help to facilitate our children's church ministry. Uh, when we gather together, the ones who are great are the ones who clean up and vacuum and, and prepare things and put the music away after and tidy up. They're the ones who make our gatherings great. The ones who change the slides and the ones who um, set things up, they are what makes uh, our gatherings great. In our community, the people who turn up every time you need to move with a trailer, See, when I even say that right now, there, you know, there's a dozen of you are thinking, I know exactly who he's talking about. Michael, I'm talking about you. Because anytime anyone wants to move in this community, Michael is there with his trailer. He is a great man because he is there to serve every single time without fail. It's the people who are offered a babysit when we are in need. It's the people who make meals when other people are sick. It's the people that are ready to answer that call, who are ready to be there, who are listening to us when we are struggling. The people in our community that help and serve and sacrifice, they make it great. We become great when we drink from his cup. We become great when we serve and we sacrifice for others. And... One of the very few small blessings of this, this um, awful um, pandemic that is going through the world, one of the very few things, though, is, is that people are slowly, even if only a little bit, redefining how they see greatness. Right now, people are not impressed with billionaires. They're not impressed with tyrannical leaders who make these uh, ridiculous proclamations. They're not impressed with celebrities and sports stars. Right now, in this time of global grief and challenge, we are looking to the doctors, 
and we are looking to the nurses and the scientists and the researchers. Uh, you know what? We're looking to the supermarket workers, the people who are stacking our groceries and, and serving us at the, at the counter when we leave. We're looking to delivery drivers. I don't know about you, but I'm getting more and more deliveries to my house. We are looking to the delivery drivers and the garbage collectors, and we are saying, these people are great. Whilst we are cooped up, safe, these people are out there serving us, helping us, going about their, their lives in a way that is great. This is what the kingdom of God should look like. And if the church wants to be great, it must serve. It must start helping. It needs to support those who are in need. In, through, in history, the, the way that the church grew in the, in the first century was, um, was through service, through acts of service and humility. And when there was plagues for, for hundreds of years in the church, when there was uh, in history, there was plagues, the churches would come in and the Christians would stay and they would care for the elderly and they would care for the disabled and they would care for the sick. And everybody else would scatter and disappear because they didn't want to catch diseases. And we're talking about smallpox and measles and awful things. And the church would stay and they would serve and they would help. And everyone looked at that and they said, that is what the kingdom of God is like. So the church grew really rapidly because they were great in their service and great in their sacrifice, no matter the cost. So when I look to the world right now, and I look even to, the, to my own home right now, I think, how do we be great? How do we serve more? How do we sacrifice more? How do we make uh, what defines us about our, our love for the poor and for the broken and the refugee? How do we make our, our community great? Because I'm very sure that it's not about a bigger building and it's not about more political influence and it's not about pushing our agenda or our theology or our judgment onto people. It's about loving people. That's what makes the kingdom of God so radically different to the kingdom of this world. So Jesus says to all of the, the nonsense and all of the stuff that we have been programmed to believe, all the judgments that we've been programmed to make, he says, not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you that you set the ultimate example, that you sacrificed your position of power and authority and dominion over all of creation to come in and incarnate into a man and to live a life of humility and sacrifice and kindness and goodness and gentleness, and then to take up a cross and to bear that cross as an act of service and sacrifice as a ransom for us. So I pray that we would be willing to to take our cross and follow you, that we'd be willing to drink from your cup and that we would see greatness as acts of service and kindness in this time of challenge. I pray that in the midst of this, the church would be great about the work of the kingdom. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.